to move from fear to faith, I think we need to, as a society, create more parameters and more understanding and more awareness that these things actually can happen. As far as for humanity, for stakeholders. Try this bad boy emphasize. You are welcome to take a seat at the table where we use a new lens, where humanity are stakeholders. Different distinctions encouraged, intention starts from a no judgment zone. A certain age is not criteria and where you become comfortable with the uncomfortable to facilitate a new conversation. There we go. All good. Well, welcome Tyson to the decision table. We literally just have conversations here with everyday people who are doing amazing things across the globe. And one of the things that I realized was if we continue to do things the same way, we're going to get the same results across the globe. And what better way is it to have a conversation with someone different, learn new insights, maybe even evolve a little. And one of the things that I'm doing is writing a few white papers. And one of them is looking through the lens of humanity as stakeholders. What does that bring to you when you hear humanity as stakeholders? What does that bring up for you? Humanity as stakeholders. Um, mm. Nice and light to start off with. Yeah. So if we look at all having a vested interest or being stakeholders, you know, in yeah. humanity, a lot will change. There's been a lot of corruption, a lot of corruption that's been exposed since 2012. A lot of people breaking it, being out of integrity, basically to make a dollar the way that corporate America was structured under the industrial revolution. And it wasn't a win-win situation. It was more of a win-lose situation. And so when we look at the collective as a whole and we look at ourselves as part of a whole, which I think is a huge part of it, is seeing us as all one unit connected. When one of us suffers, all of us suffer and so on and so forth. And so if we could look at it like that and probably bring some equality to it, but that's really what it means is it means putting a vested interest into all of humanity and understanding that all of, you know, the more that you can help yourself, the more that you can help another, the more that you can help another, the more that you can help yourself. Yeah, I love all of that. I think there's so many pieces to all of that. And, you know, one of the strongest things that came out of what you just said then was the it's not a win-win, it's a win-lose. Where has that lose, you know, where's that not being a win for humanity? What specific industry, like what specific industry? Whatever that is. I mean, you brought it up, so it's obviously something that you're thinking about or have thought about. It is. So, for instance, companies like Monsanto or Big Pharma or Mm. that are constantly. So I remember reading an article, I think it was in 2011, they developed, I think it was a blood pressure medication or something that ended up affecting over 300,000 people with HIV. So they discontinued it here in the States and then sent it to third world countries, affecting over half a million more people. Right. And so it's like for the profit. And so when I say that, what I'm saying is, hmm, look at where these companies are destroying humanity, destroying different things. If you look at like glyphosate is in 72% of the air we breathe now, and at least here in the States. And that's huge. And the glyphosate in the food that we eat, the genetically modified food is actually what ruins the brain gut connection and disconnects people from 
themselves and when people are disconnected from themselves. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist at all, but I, I'm well aware that, you know, the 1% has created it in a way where they don't really want company. And so there's this big push and they do hold the majority of the power. They hold the majority of the wealth. And so that's one of my favorite things about today is more wealth. You have things like Bitcoin and other things, and you have more wealth changing hands today. And for the last 200 years, it's been generational. So where has this come from? Where did we get to a space where this was okay? I think a lot of it was built like in, out of scarcity and greed. But how do we get to this space? It's a great question. Can you tell me more about your question? Can you give me more information or insight? Well, here's the thing. I don't know that I have more except that I, I wonder how as human race where we think that if this truly is a problem that we're seeing, that, you know, and scarcity and greed is an issue, we know that. How did we get to that point? What has allowed us as human race to think that this is okay? I think, you know, from a spirit, like for me, from a spiritual aspect, it comes from separation. And so for me, I look at a lot of things on two sides of the coin. You have separation and oneness and there has been so much separation and so much fear. It's really the greed and the scarcity is bred out of fear, in my opinion. And so I think we need to shift from being fear-based and, and reacting out of fear to operating with faith. I mean, you hear people say all the time, oh, the universe will take care of me. God will take care of me. I won't go yeah. without. And people most, most often don't. And so having that faith, I think if you wanted to look at it from like a really, mm, what's the problem? Well, the problem is there's a lot of fear. A lot of people operate out of fear and that creates a pattern of decisions. Like most wars are created out of fear. Most, you know, of these. So I think it would be as simple as going back to operating from faith. Mm. So here's the thing. There's a huge gap between fear and faith. Yeah. How do we, how do we narrow that gap? <laughs> I think compassion and love would be be a huge one, giving just being more compassionate towards yourself and towards others and, you know, being in transformation for eight years. Like, it's very hard to transform if your behavior is stuck in guilt and shame. And I've really looked into this generationally, but having compassion. So, you know, epigenetics says we're 90 percent of our ancestors are DNA. Right. And so like with like done all these generational constellations. So. But it, it is bred out of fear. But I think a lot of it is breaking generational bonds. So to like, if you want to talk about an actionable step, right? And I believe a lot of the souls that incarnate here right now at this time are here to break generational bonds, right? And like, if you look at the Germans, there's so much guilt and shame around Auschwitz and all of that. And then the Native Americans, or I'm Native American, and we had our land taken and our women and our children were raped. And I've actually looked into all of this stuff that is is happened and we're carrying it generationally and right now consciousness is evolving and people are waking up and they're like oh yeah love is the way compassion is the way let's you know faith is the way let's get out of this fear right and is somebody for me who's done years of inner work and then still having some of the issues that i struggle with still wondering what that is then really looking into the generational stuff so i think if we all took accountability and responsibility for where we're at and the lineages that we come from and we set the intention to heal that, then I think that that would speed the process up a great deal. So accountability, 
sounds so easy yet not so hard. <laughs> uh, like it's quite hard to do, right? Like yeah. as a as a human race, if we are being more accountable for our actions we take or don't take in some situations, you know how do how do we do that? How do we know that we're being more accountable? Well, I think we'd start to see a different result. You said something, you know, mm. if we do what we've always done, we'll have what we always have. We got to where we're at by doing what we did, but we're not going to get to where we're going by doing what we did. We have to do something different. Is there any way you can elaborate on your question anymore? Tell you me know, more. With, with any of the questions that I ask on this table, it's never ever that I'm coming with an agenda around it. I'm literally yeah. being curious. Okay. I'm wondering why it is that you've brought that up. I'm pushing deeper into that question because I truly want to understand. You know, as a Native American, you have a different perspective on what you've seen from generations and the effects of that within your own yeah. environment. I haven't seen that. I'm not Native American. I don't get to yeah. see that. I don't know what that truly means. I don't know what what it is but i can tell you about generational you know bringing it down into the next generation and things like that and seeing patterns of that and and how that has worked or not worked and i often wonder that although that i haven't experienced exactly the same thing as you have mm -hmm. i've experienced similar things within the concept of generational things needing to be broken off and made sure that i don't take that on into the next generation and now into my children's generation and then even into my grandchildren's generation. And so I think that there's often, even though we may not experience the same thing, I think there's things that we experience that there's some similarities that we can connect mm -hmm. on. Yeah. And unless I ask these questions, I don't know what that looks like because I don't even know what it was that you see and understand by going through that experience or creating an awareness within your own self that you've worked through or you continue to work through. And I think when I ask questions here, it's never about, well, what am I meaning by that? It's more about, I'm curious, you brought this up. What does that mean to you? And then I go, ah, that's how we can connect on that. Or that's how I can see we can make a difference as a human race because there's some common out. And the reason I think that is interesting is the reason I talk about humanity as stakeholder is because I believe that the one thing we have in common that connects us is that we're a part of a human race yeah. and, and we bring our distinctions. So those are the things that maybe your environment has, has helped to develop in you. Maybe it's the generational things. Maybe it's the thinking that you have that makes up our DNA and it's what we bring to the table as our distinctions that make us different and, and add value to that table. Those differences aren't a negative. It's the value you bring. But unless I'm curious, unless I'm willing to ask questions and then to listen to what you're saying and even ask more questions maybe because it brings up something else, I'm never truly going to understand. Mm. Yeah, well, curiosity and wonder is huge. Right? Mm -hmm. And I think that we have to have these conversations where we don't come knowing at all. Because I don't know about you, but one of the things I've learned is that I don't know at all. 
I I actually don't. And the more that I traveled around the world, the more that I did my work across many, many different cultures, the more I realized I didn't know anything. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> and there was so much more to learn. But I did see something. I saw patterns, similarities of things that connected us. So things like what you talk about, accountability. Things like just even creating an awareness. If we are more aware, we both know and can agree that that helps us to make better decisions. Absolutely. So even though we come from so much difference, there are still things we can connect on. And I think that we are at a stage in the globe right now where we need to learn and, and remember or figure out what are those things for us to connect on. Yeah, there's so much. So that we can shift it. So that gap between the fear and then actually faith begins to narrow, not continue to widen. Yeah, do you think it is widening right now? I think there's a lot that can add to to where humanity is going that is widening that gap. So fear, we just look at social media right now. And the news that you see on social media isn't all happy, red roses, peaceful, bringing encouragement to. It is working around a lot of fear. It's also not just even bringing things to your attention. It is actually feeding that monster of fear. Why? Because we can now feel that it's our right as a human to now voice and judge someone else for what they're doing or not doing or saying or not saying. And then we get a whole lot of other humans joining us in on that. And then all of a sudden that blows up and and everyone across the globe is starting to talk about that particular issue. We've had one come up in the last few days and, you know, it continues to happen. So, yes, fear, even with where the, you know, the the pandemic, there's been a lot of talk on on what that has done, that is, and there has, trust me, been some challenges that have come out of it. There's also been some good things, mm. like the fact that I think humanity's had to think about why they're making choices or not making choices. What has become in the past, maybe not priorities, but now need to be priorities to maybe do it more effectively in ways that are meaning that you get more time with your family because now you've mm. had to readjust what your systems are your processes or things like that because before you got away with it but now you don't because everything is online whatever that is I think there's so many things that could be the fear monster Mm -hmm. but really if we turn that around we flip it we learn from those things that are challenges and because of that we come out the other side with actually where there's benefits and value, but we don't talk about that so much. Mm, I've been talking about that a lot more. I really believe that, that this has been a huge catalyst for growth. Most of the massive growth that I've created in my life has been born out of adversity. And I really believe that there is a, is there's an equal seed of opportunity in every piece of adversity that we face. And like you said, at the beginning of the show, like what we've been doing isn't working. And so usually like throughout human history something like this gets to happen for things to shift and so really it's just a it's a yeah like i i feel like it's just the natural part of 
spiritual evolution, the evolution of consciousness. And and we're just kind of up level. It's breakdown before breakthrough, right? And most of the the biggest breakthroughs that I've ever made have come on the other side of some real life challenges or adversity. So I think it is so I wanna I wanna even flip that because I think okay. It's not even on the other side. And I think that that's quite a – so some will go, yeah, I've gone through tough times. I fail. I, I've struggled. The challenge is so big. I just can't even see out of that. Then there's others that go, hey, we know that with adversity we can come out the other side and we're going to be, you know, stronger and learn from it and evolve from it. And my thinking nowadays is actually and, – and I did this because I did a year and a half of literally choosing to fail and embracing it and I, and I did that because I was one of those perfectionists in other words I had to have everything right and before I made decisions did things and it was a, a control thing really I mean if I put it down to anything it was because a lot of my life was out of control when I was a much younger girl and I learned that if I could get it right figure it out then I would have things in control what I learned was particularly going into business and then running companies, if now I remained that as, as one of my default systems, it actually wasn't going to be beneficial for me because growth comes, as we're talking about, through the challenges that we face. And sometimes that failure, and now I don't even think of it as a failure, I just think of it as a learning experience. And yeah. I go, not only did I learn from that year and a half of embracing failure, it took me that long, by the way. I was doing a year of it. And I needed to add another six months until I literally embraced failure. And what I learned from that was this, that during the time that I'm going on it, I can actually see the positives and the learnings as I'm going rather than waiting until I got to the other side. And that was huge for me because now when I go through the challenges, I'm constantly analyzing it and going, what am I learning from this? What am I gaining from this? What am I... So instead of just sort of bearing it and waiting until the other side. I love that. I actually am learning and realizing there's so much to gain from that. And what you focus on expands. So if you're focusing your attention on what you're yeah. gaining and learning, then the, the process of failure and adversity actually becomes enjoyable. And I think that's when things really, really shift. And so like we can, our emotional state is everything. And so if you can make a situation that used to be painful, joyful, that is huge. And I've helped people do that for years. And that's one of my favorite things to do is taking something that has upset you, that has triggered you, that has put you in a certain emotional frequency and reworking yourself from a cellular level to basically be able to respond different and, you know, through your limbic system and all of that. But it's, it's really fascinating. And so I love that you said that because through your shift in perspective and your perception and what you chose to focus on, you change the experience from what most would call a negative to a positive. And yeah. everybody has the power to do that in any experience. That's amazing. That tells me a lot about you that, you know, that's, that's really cool. Here's the other piece. You said something interesting, and if I, if I can question it, I'd really like mm -hmm. to. And that is, yeah. you said emotional is everything. I don't know that that's a truth, and I'll say <clears throat> why. And it's I'm questioning it because you're saying it. But mm -hmm. my thinking at this point is that emotional is part of it. 
intelligence, physical, spiritual, all those things make us up as a whole, as a human being. And so I don't know that one is more important because here's the thing, you know, I know many talk about balance and I believe there is a balance for you. I believe that what the world has put as a balance is not going to be the balance that is right for you. And so if I think of that and I I wish I could draw right now and one day I'm getting this all sorted so that I can. But if I thought of it as a whole, I think of it as a circle, circle is whole, right? And we've got set pieces of it, whether the physical, emotional, spiritual, and whatever it is, like that makes up the whole of who we are. If one of those areas is out of play, is not functioning at the best level that it can be, it is going to put that circle off balance. Mm. Yeah. I and agree. I think as us as humans, we are like that. If there's something that is not functioning, whether it's our emotional, whether it's our even being able to use our smarts and putting that into play to how we are physically, what our spiritual, whatever that looks like for each one of us, whatever that is, if that is off balance, it actually means that we're not going to turn up at the best level that we can possibly be. And so then in that case, our results are going to be off balance. So for me, when you say, emotion is everything I think it is a part of it an important part of it and I think that the world doesn't necessarily put the right indicators on that in other words the measurements of that as important as some of the other things that we often see but I don't know that I would agree that it is more important than any of the rest of them I think it's a huge part of it yeah so I would agree with you that balance is, is most important. And where I come from saying that is from a creating your reality within, I think that you're, so yeah, your intellect is very important. It is very important, but we've done so many studies on what creates a result or what creates success. And we've, you're, so that is an overstatement that emotional is everything. I think it is a huge part of it. I think there are other core areas that are very important, your spirituality, your ability to be present, your ability to be here in in this moment. So there's so many different variables from a, how am I experiencing life thing? I feel like emotions are so, are so critical and raising our emotional intelligence and being able to understand how to have the tools to create the emotional experience that we desire throughout our daily lives. And more more acting than reacting but you're right it is about balance and i think another huge part is i mean there's i believe that there are four we'll put it this way there's four key areas that i help people work on and that's their their physical health their wealth their finances their ability to take care of themselves their spirituality their relationship with themselves and their relationships with others and i feel like yes having that is critical i also notice a shift in my results based on how my relationships are. And so, yeah, there gets to be that balance. And uh, uh, those, and you said, you know, what balances me may not balance you or balance the next person. Yeah. For me, when I found a balance in those four areas and been able to, to don't, you know, basically give equal time to each of those. So I'm blessed that I learned from a mentor a long time, but I schedule about five hours out of the day just for me just so that I can decompress and I can take me time so that I can be there. And I only work about three or four hours a day. 
Um, and I take, and in my me time, I take care of my health and my nutrition and different things like that. So I really love that. But you're right. The more balanced you become, the more even keel life becomes, the more present you become. So yeah, it's, it's, it's huge. And here's the thing that with the whole balance side of it, that will change depending what is really important to you and what are priorities. And I think that this is one of the things that is really coming out of the conversations using the lens of humanity as stakeholders is the fact that a lot of the time us as humans, when we put us as stakeholders at the decision table, we actually realize there is the need for us to have indicators that are just as much a priority as, say, indicators of your financial growth. What do I mean by that? I think that it's really easy to to separate us as personal and professional, and that is that is actually detrimental. I really truly think that. And I, because I personally, whether I'm physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever, if I'm not coming at my full capacity today to the meeting that I might be running or involved in, that will have an effect. Mm. So here's the thing, though. I think that we have amazing KPIs for a lot of our business growth. We do not have KPIs that are priority for us in the boardroom that are related to our emotional intelligence, our and I actually go effective intelligence. I have a whole different pathway that is like I hear a lot of the normal ones and I so for me I would have a indicator on your human intelligence. Mm-hmm. And and I'd be going, well, what are the indicators on that for woman? And making sure that I'm building out culture on that. Like I don't think that the, the priority is the same. And I wonder if it was, how that would change how we do our businesses, our companies, our organizations. Hmm. Any thoughts around that? So are you talking about having markers of progress for our other areas of life? Almost well, I'm as in... So I'm bringing that question up because it's come up quite a few hmm. times since I've started using this lens of humanity as stakeholders. And I wonder if part of the gap from where we are Mm. and now realizing that this is part of our priorities of, you think about it, mental health, it's becoming a major issue within, you know, organizations right now, because, you know, there's so many things that are happening, challenges that is increasing a lot of what is happening within the mental health of a person they're then bringing it into the workplace and it's being recognized as something that maybe we should even consider to think about when we're building out our culture and how do we assess that and what do we, how do we make sure that we don't let that pass by and realize that someone is ready to jump off a cliff and we didn't even recognize it or, uh, you know, acknowledge it, give the support that is needed, whatever it is. And, and I, th- I wonder if it's because we don't have indicators. Mm, Take okay. on like that. Like I, I, I don't know. I'm merely questioning it right now. But I, it's mm. come up a, a, a lot of times throughout these conversations, and I wonder if, if one of the ways we could change that. Yeah, mental health is a huge issue, and you know, collectively, it's 
you know, now people are becoming more outspoken and people are giving themselves permission and more people to talk about these things. And there is more awareness around these things. Forever, it was kind of something you didn't talk about. And I think, you know, yeah, how do we know, right? Like, how do we know that somebody is struggling, you know, with mental health? Like, I've done a ton of research, I think, from a tangible standpoint. We've, there's been new research that's come out in the last 10 years about specific types of exercise being more effective for anxiety and depression than almost anything else and helping a ton of people come out of that through that. But yeah, there first, before you can have self-management, which is implementing a plan, you have to have the self-awareness or the social awareness. And so how do we become aware? What are the markers? Are there assessments that can be done? Are, you know, I mean, I don't, and so I've, you know, I'm, certified to coach in corporate, but I've never really done much in corporate. And so I've always done things as, you know, in my entrepreneurial business. So I don't know, but are there, are there counselors in there? Are there people that are, you know, are we asking the right questions? And like, you know, one of my favorite quotes is the quality of our life is defined by the quality of the questions that we ask. And so can we ask the quality questions? But then I think there's also a level of safety that people must feel, right? And so if people aren't safe, they're not going to open up. But yeah, that's a great question. And I would have to wander into that for a while on how can we start to shift some of this? Mental illness is a huge deal. And I know that- Maybe just just to go on that one, I don't Mm -hmm. think it's any different from business to to corporate, by the way. And this is what I'm trying to say, that these are some of the patterns, whether it's in corporate or business, mental health is still an issue, right? Like it doesn't- it doesn't have borders between, hey, yeah. you're in the entrepreneur world, you won't suffer from mental health. No, it doesn't do it like that. It is a human thing that many of us as humans have had to face. And if that is the case, then even in businesses, if you go back into what you know in the entrepreneur world, how can you create culture that is making sure that if we even go back a step where you talked about the physical being important, well, here's the great thing. Do you know that if you have got movement and that you are, you know, physically healthy, that you will come to the your business with a much healthier, you know, outlook, a much mm-hmm. like your brain will be creating chemicals that are going to be healthy, helpful, help you to think better, mm-hmm. right? Well, why are we not bringing that as maybe key indicators? How how, have you done your exercise today? Is that one of our priorities of our checklists? I don't know. It's an interesting concept, but Mm -hmm. I I wonder if if part of us is, and and awareness is always great. So we know that there's this, this gap. We've talked about it. We continue to talk about from fear to faith. Well, how do we now that we're aware of it, what are things that we can do to change that and own that and take responsibility? I think a really simple thing could be that maybe we just aren't having all the right key indicators in in the businesses and organizations we're running. And that would actually narrow the gap between fair and faith of both in business and in, in corporate. Yes, in both corporate and business, humans do remain present in both. Exactly. And that's where humanity comes back. Uh, That's what Riz is saying here. That's where humanity goes back to being stakeholders at the table. Mm. 
I'm interested if you could give me an example of what you feel a key indicator in that. Have you, if you've, if you've thought of any, what a key indicator from your perspective in, you know, helping narrow that gap in mental health? Yeah, I wonder if, and I, I, I'm literally, I, I just came off an interview yeah. around this and, and it kind of popped up in my head, but I thought, what if we, we had as part of our culture in the business is that you have to take three 20 minute breaks in those three 20 mm. minute breaks in your day. One of those things was a walk for 20 minutes. One of those things was you sit with your coffee, your water, whatever it is, but you just sit beside, look out at something or, and one might be that you just sit and read or have a conversation with another teammate or something like that. But you have to take three of those things a day. And then over a week, that's 21 times that you've taken out 20 minutes and that we need to know that you've done that and then watch. How has that helped increase our productivity? How has that helped with the days of, you know, decreasing the sickness days? How has that helped, you know, people turning up to meetings, being fully present, ready to get into that? And I think it's finding simple things like that that maybe we could see as key indicators to to really the health of your company. I talk about the health of your company and I think that that it's again becomes a filter when we think of health, we think of energy, we think of what are we putting in to make sure that we're building out a healthy environment. Yeah. So it, it starts making us, and, and I'd be challenging, you know, culture and the business that you're building, are you building out something that is of, that is healthy, that is adding value to your company? And you will see it on your bottom dollar, like you will, because it will increase. And we know that it does increase, yet we don't have things that help us to make sure that we're doing that as well. Yeah, well, I can tie that to the, I feel like it's it's relevant to tie it to the emotional state. So when you look at mental illness and depression and anxiety, and you look at the frequency, everything has an energetic frequency. You look at the frequency of our different emotional states, you know, we attract what we vibrate and what I have noticed. And so in my career, what I've helped businesses do and entrepreneurs do and people do is I don't coach a lot of business, but my clients will in 90 days will increase their income by 20 to 40%. It's incredible because I teach them how to regulate their internal state. And that is, you know, combating mental illness. And so those things that you recommended would be great staring at nature for 20 minutes. I take 20 minutes of quiet time and I just stare yeah. at nature. It's been shown to create, you know, release BDNF, which is brain-derived neurotrophic factor, miracle growth of the brain, and it mm-hmm. helps us create new brain channels. And so does taking time in silence. And so does meditation. And so does exercise. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at these things and, you know, it's so funny because for years we've heard that, oh yeah, I feel so good because exercise has released endorphins. There's no science around that whatsoever. It's just something that we've, caught on in our society, what it does is it balances your brain chemistry and then your neurotransmitters. And when you are not in those states of anxiety and fear, because when you're in those states, you are attracting more of that. So when you can shift the emotional health of the people that work in your company or yourself, things become more easy. And I believe this is why good things and bad things happen in three, because people have a tough time shifting from fear to faith, right? Shifting 
from anxiety to hope, shifting from, you know, whatever, you know, they're from anger to peace, right? And so teaching people the techniques and the tools to implement and putting that in your corporate schedule or your business schedule is critical. I typically do 90 minutes on and 30 minutes off and I'm always taking time to do quick little meditations and do these little things to help my mental health. And I've struggled with anxiety and depression a lot in my life. And so, and I've been very close to some people who suffer with it on a very deep level. And I've worked with a lot of people that have PTSD. So I understand and can empathize with, with what goes in and we are finding stuff that works. And so I love, yeah, I love that you said what you said, because I agree. And maybe even being able to talk to somebody, yes, all of that will help. Like we need that social interaction. It's been proven that, you know, that, that community aspect is so important and people just want to feel good and they want to feel that like they're contributing. People want to contribute and be heard and understood more than anything. In my opinion, from my experience, we want to be heard and understood and we want to love, be loved and we want to feel good about what we're contributing. And that raises the emotional frequency and the emotional state. But I, you know, and for me and my work, right, we all have our different, you know, perspectives and things, but I do work a lot with emotional intelligence and emotions and being able to shift those emotions to really shift your results and experience in life. Yeah, I love that. So how have you found then that these things, when you've taken that time out, and you said that you, you know, you've suffered from the anxiety and things like that. How have you seen this change it, disrupt that pattern? You personally. So, yeah. So for me, if I, if I exercise three to five days a week for at least 30 minutes with my heart rate over 135, I don't suffer from any anxiety or depression. I like, I'm able to, I'm more even keel stuff can come at me and I'm doing now I do a lot of stuff to strengthen my mindset including you know hopping in two minutes of freezing cold water every morning first thing in the morning and I do that. a five minute cold yeah okay and it really works doesn't it like it really it's like once you start your day with that it's like yeah come on throw it at me I got it and it really starts to fortify your mindset so that's like yeah the exercise and then the taking the quiet time and you know, and I guess like I just have the experience with my clients and myself, but it's I have taught a system that runs on a point system that takes care of these daily little things. So body being balanced, business, all of these different areas and, you know, putting the check marks off and taking that quality time. And when people do, they're like, my life is amazing. It is awesome. And I think there's an education gap, right? Because we've gotten so fear-based, so anxiety-based that we're reacting instead of consciously checking in and acting and just the ability. To, so when people learn that, they simply learn the ability to check in with their body and to understand that and to catch their reactions and choose consciously and act, then that changes everything for them. And we're creating less issues in our life. I mean, we could look at it from an integrity standpoint too. I believe energetically, anytime integrity is broken, that's the only time that problems are created in life when we keep integrity with ourselves and with others. There isn't that, but there is. And then there's so much judgment. So people, especially in the social media world, where it's all glitz and glamour, the collective has been experiencing imposter syndrome. 
that makes people feel bad, right? We want to be productive. We want to be seen as valuable. And we're like, what do I have to offer? I'm fake. All these other people with these marketing campaigns, nobody's being authentic and talking about their actual problems and what's actually going on. And I feel that there gets to be like, people feel so judged. And so how can we make people feel safer? Like that's what I actually, in this these environments, if I think safety is key. And like, even like I did an exercise about six months ago where I walked up to all the women in my life and I was like, what, when do you feel safest around me? What are my actions and behaviors? When do you feel most unsafe around me? What are my actions and behaviors? And the knowledge that I got from that has improved my relationships across the board. Because ultimately when people feel safe, they will open up and then they can get the help. And what's, you know, when people, people are in fear, it goes back to the fear and the faith, right? So it's just, yeah, it's, it's interesting, but it does start. Well, I, I think that our emotions are a huge part, but you're right. There's so much more. So what were some of the things that you saw that or heard that helped to make us feel safe? <clears throat> so, um, so obviously integrity and trust in, yeah. in the things that we've talked about, but what were some of the other things? So even things like being still and present, like, yeah, I noticed that sometimes like, you know, and I'm very, I was diagnosed as ADD. So sometimes I can be like very go, 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 go. And just learning that sometimes that, being fidgety and things like that um, that made people feel unsafe for whatever reason, whether they had trauma in their past of somebody yeah. like that or somebody that abused them that had that behavior. You never know, right? And you don't ever want to take because it personally. What, what happens just on that one is it's the unpredictability. Mm. It's the fact that you're moving like this. I can't feel like I know where you're going to be and where you're at. And for someone that has come from that background, that becomes a concern and so they're going to be on their you know flight kind of mode yep so and a lot of it comes down to energy and learning to be present i notice that when i am present with individuals they feel much safer and this is some of the feedback i got from the women it's like well when you're present and you're here i feel safe mm. do you think that's because when you're present we know that you're listening, that maybe you're caring mm -hmm. because you are listening, that maybe if you listen, you're trying to understand even if you don't really totally understand. Yeah, I think that's but, a huge what part. Else would you say? Well, people do desire to be heard and understood. So, yeah, I yeah. that's a huge, huge desire. So, yes, that makes them feel good about themselves. They, when they feel good about themselves, they'll feel a little bit safer. Some people just feel unsafe due to their perceived judgment of others. So mm. I got that a lot. Like, I don't feel safe if I feel like you're judgmental. And like, I feel like I'm a pretty unjudgmental person. I've worked in a lot of arenas and open to a lot of different things. And if somebody's perception of me is that I'm being judgmental and I learn that people feel that way. If when sometimes when I share advice without asking permission, so that led me to always getting permission before I give advice and that like, and so it, it isn't my intention, but think about it. So let's say you come up and you give somebody advice and they're insecure about themselves. They'll think, well, he doesn't think I'm good enough. He's trying to fix me or what's wrong with me. I don't need his advice, but, you know, whatever's good. But in yeah. so, but just learning all of that and being compassionate and empathetic. 
having compassion and empathy is, you know, for people and understanding. And somebody told, I was working with somebody the other day and they said, I just don't know, like, how can I have empathy for somebody if I've never gone through that experience? I'm like, think about how going through that experience would make you feel. Think about the last time that you felt like that. That's how you have empathy for people because we've all had the feelings. We've all had all the feels, in my opinion. Um, you know, like, I love it. And maybe if we have more empathy and we live in more integrity and we listen better, this will help us to narrow that gap from fear to, to faith. And, you know, I think and, – and also I think the safe it's, – it's funny because many – there's, there's such conversation around the safe environments right now. Yeah. Some say, some say, oh yes, we shouldn't be creating safe environments. Others say, we we should be creating safe environments. And I think it's an interesting conversation because having had autism in my family, mm. you know, one of the things that you have to do before you can have any breakthroughs with autism is, or anyone that's on a spectrum is to create the safe environment so that they can actually just be themselves. Mm-hmm. Themselves might not be what you're used to. It yeah. may not represent what you think they should be doing, yeah. your expectations for them. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you there is no growth until you create a safe environment for them yes. to be themselves. And I think that and then it's ways to manage how that comes into reality of living in an environment and what they need to learn to be able to yeah. to work with it, not against it. And I think that if we bring it back to humanity as stakeholders at the table, we are we are saying we want to create these safe places where you can be yourself. Yes. That yes. means that there's going to be integrity. That mm-hmm. means that we have faith in these spots. This means that we don't judge where it's a no judgment zone and it means that maybe as humanity we come not just as perfection but with our messes and with our you know our our failures that are not failures but are just experiences that we are learning through right now and if that's truly a case and truly the what we believe is a better way to do it yeah. Then we we have to we have to create these spaces mm. where this is okay. I a hundred percent agree. And just to go back, because you know, the more we talk about it, and the more that we bring awareness around it, the more that people can implement it. And this thing with yeah. safety, and it's huge. So I've got three younger sisters. I'm an older brother, mm. right? So I've got that older brother, like, yeah, I'll keep you safe kind of energy. Yeah, I love and that. so it's yeah, and so it's really it's this conversation. But so you were saying at the beginning, you're like, yeah, so. I had to take a year and a half to fail through everything because I was a perfectionist and I needed the control and the control was there because the fear was there, right? Fear of not having control and what that looks like to get in like. your past and that. So for going back to that, so many people have that. And so I want to go back to when it comes to safety, asking for consent. So many people assume. Yeah. And if we can just ask somebody, like if we're in somebody's space, do you mind if I is that to considering that other person, like what I've learned through this life is you never know what trauma somebody has been through. You never know what's going to set somebody off and you want to be empathetic to that. And so 
Like I went to an event and it's kind of off topic, but I went to an event last year about healing guilt and shame around sexuality and all of the things that have been, you know, caught in the collective. And I didn't know until I started coaching because I didn't have it in my past, how big sexual trauma was. And if you look at the stats, like, I mean, it's incredible. It is incredible. Most of the women that I work with have dealt with sexual trauma in their past. And so they have these experiences where they feel unsafe. And so like, in a relationship, if you are in a relationship, if uh, this is for all the men out there, it's so critical. If you are in a relationship, a new relationship with a woman or whatever, the more that you can ask for consent, everything that you do, the more, the safer that she'll feel with you, the safer that she feels with you, the more she'll open up, the more you'll get to know her. This is super important. Journal in a great journal question are, is when do I feel safest with myself? What are the things that I'm doing? Right. How do I feel? I create the same. And they're just questions. Wonder in them. Don't even intellectualize. I just put it out into the universe and ask these questions and see what comes back. And yes, ask the women in your life. I just, it's so critical. And I didn't realize, you know, how many women felt unsafe in all kinds of environments. And we're trying to empower women right now. And it was Women Empowerment Day the other day, right? I saw a bunch of posts on Facebook. But it's, we're trying, we're, we're moving into equality and in, in empowering women, but we're, they're still in a world where in many environments, they feel unsafe. So if we really want to do this, yeah, it's, yeah, I could talk a lot on safety. It's a but huge I think, Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think that we can do that no matter what relationship it is, whether male, yes. female, that yes. any of this, whether in, as again, personal or professional, all of these things are so important. And I think this is where there is no line between and, and we need to turn up as a whole. And if we turn up as a whole and look at it as a human being at the table, we are actually looking at something that, you know, this, what you say here is something we need to do as a whole. And I mm -hmm. think that, that is the beauty of it, that, you know, we need to create safe spaces, whether it's in the workplace or in the home life. We need to create safe places, whether we are walking the streets or in our own home. We we need to, or in the office. This is not, there is no borders between these things. And I think that that is the interesting thing, that when we have this conversation and create awareness around it, there are so many similarities across so many walks of our lives, yet we walk very different lives but as a core if we go back to humans that as a human we need safe places we need to make sure that we are able to communicate what we need to have as a voice at the table and I think that that some of these things that we've talked about have create that space for humanity to have a voice at the table and I think that you know for me personally that's where it comes back to if people want to learn more about who you are and what you're about, what's the best spot for them to do that? So you can add me. Um, Facebook is a platform I use most, Tyson James Lee. You can go to my website, TysonJamesLee.com. On that, I've uh, just created a free three-part training that you can go and look, and it talks about how to understand emotional frequency and how that impacts your life, how you can use emotional intelligence and different tools to raise that frequency, learn to shift into emotional states. And then third part, how you can combine those two to actually rework yourself at a genetic and a cellular level to have a different life experience. And so I 
have been into spirituality for eight years and but I really my grandfather was an engineer for NASA and I'm very science based, right? Like so I wanted to find the facts. So I really teach the science of manifestation and God and you know what metaphysics are and quantum physics and how to actually apply this information to your life to create real sustainable change. Mm, love that. So it's come to that time and now we're almost finishing this broadcast, but I always ask this question. It's the only question that's the same every time. And it goes around this whole thing of awareness. Like we've created a lot of awareness in this conversation. I think there's been some amazing points that we've dived into. And I, I appreciate you coming on and having a willingness to to have that conversation because I think, you know, it's not an, always an easy one because you don't know where it's going. And I think that's where a lot of this learning is coming from. So thank you for being willing to do that. And I think there's always a responsibility when we create an awareness to what are we owning with that. So my question is this, what are you taking from our conversation today? So to move from fear to faith, I think we need to, as a society, create more parameters and more understanding and more awareness that these things actually can happen. As far as for humanity, for stakeholders, Hmm, what let me wonder into what has what has shifted in my perception or what I've taken away from that. I feel like the biggest thing that I've taken away is relating. So I've taught safety, but I didn't understand or didn't it wasn't as aware of how important safety is from moving from fear to faith, but how important it actually is to create sustainable change because it gives people a platform and a voice and people create the change. And like, even so, even, you know, a man, like, yes, everybody, it is about us all owning our unique gifts and stepping out and fulfilling our mission or our purpose or our inspiration or our deep desires and dreams. And I really believe we need to create that safety. So I think if we create that safety, then we tackle a lot of the mental illness problem. I think we tackle a lot of the health issues and crises and crises with autoimmune diseases and all of these different things. I think I didn't realize how it, I knew it was important in individual lives, but how important it was to actually creating and facilitating change. I love that. I really love that. And I think, you know, what I'm taking from this conversation is, again, something that is just come to my attention but I think today again it cemented it and the fact that we can come from such different backgrounds we can come from such different tribes yet the bigger tribe is humanity Amen. and how do we shift it from the fear to the to the faith and have faith as humanity continues to go forward and have faith in what that looks like that we have things in play that are going to be beneficial, not just for our generation, but for the generations to come. And I think what I love is that even though we're very, very different and we've come from very different backgrounds, there's always something that we can connect on and join together and go, this is going to add value. And for me, that brings hope for the yeah. future for generations in in future for us to keep shifting it forward. And I think this is the interesting thing that 
some of these conversations, you know, there were times when you asked me in this and you go, well, what do you mean by that? And I, and I pushed it back on you and, yeah. and go, well, no, I'm looking at you. And, and that importance of that little thing that I was doing there yeah. is so priority for us to keep learning in our conversations. Yeah. Because I know what I'm thinking. I want to mm. know what you're thinking, thinking, what you're experiencing, what you're – and I think if we can do that more in our conversations – we're going to learn what pieces are okay to go, that's okay, that's how I'm thinking, that's, I'm just going to leave that, and then go, oh, he's thinking that too. I'm thinking that. How do we keep shifting it forward? And I think that's such a vital piece, in it. And, and I've loved being able to have the, the safety yeah. in this conversation to be able to do that with you because I saw the power of, how when we just went back to the core piece, not about what I'm thinking, not even what you're yeah. thinking, but what is it that you're getting from that? And I think if yeah. we can go back to that in a conversation, even if we think different things, even if we think same things, it doesn't really matter about what we mm. want is to add value to humanity going forward. And I think that that's when we can get past some of all those differences and go, oh, how do we create this safe space? How do we move from fear to to faith? And and what would that look like if we were able to do that? And I think that that's what I'm taking from our conversation. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah, it's been wonderful. And I, I really believe the quality of your life is defined by the quality of the question. So I really appreciate that. And when I'm like, tell me more, that it's my desire to learn more <laughs> about what uh, me getting curious about more of what you, yeah, but it's, it's been great. And I thank you so much for having me on and yeah, it's, it's been wonderful. And so, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. It's awesome. And I look forward to hearing some of your other interviews. Yeah. Thank you. I'm going to end this broadcast now because that's just beautiful. Amazing droplets of wisdom for you from today's episode. Make sure you subscribe, ensure you leave an awesome rating and review. Our hope is this podcast creates a new awareness, activates ownership to what is next, a curiosity for the need to be part of the change, and to make footsteps of sustainability from today onwards. If you want to further your journey with us, then apply to join us at our next Leaders Movement Parlay. The link is in the show notes. We appreciate you. Help us to help build a tribe who make humanity as stakeholders. To achieve this together, recommend this podcast to leaders, innovators, and movement changers. Big love until we see you on the next Decision Table Series podcast episode.